You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 146, Fantasia. It's all about the hippos. This episode was brought to you by the patrons. That's right. To find out more about how you can get your favorite movie nominated, head on over to rotoscopers.com slash Patreon. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling, brought to you by... Well, I'm not brought to you by my lovely co-host, but <laughs> I, I bring I'm bringing you my lovely co-host, Chelsea Robson. Say oh, hello. <laughs> no, you're the benevolent one. <laughs> I bring you all, Chelsea. <laughs> hey, the people asked and I delivered. <laughs> For those of you who are new to our show, the Animation Addicts Podcast is a podcast all about the wide, amazing world of animation. We talk about an animated film, past or present, and this time we're going to the past. One of the earlier animated films that Disney did... The 1941 film Fantasia. I was almost going to say Anastasia. A little different genre. <laughs> very, very different genre. Very different. But yes. So this movie is brought to us by one of our patrons, Satria, who chose Fantasia. Woo-hoo. And we actually, our next episode is going to be Fantasia 2000. So we are going back to back with this genre, I guess, of the Disney film, which is this animation set to classical pieces of music. So let's jump right into it, shall First. we? Should we watch a trailer? Preferably as old as possible. Okay. There's people that's like their job and like calling in life is just to like find all the different trailers. Like this is from the original VHS release. (laughs) (laughs) And and I appreciate them putting up on on YouTube. All right. There is the 1940 theatrical trailer, which is basically Uh, as good as you get. Yeah. Or the 1990 reissue trailer. Let's do the 90 reissue because... You said as old as you get. Okay, old as you get, the original trailer. All right, the original 1940 trailer. Oh, dear. Is this not going to have any words just like... I know. Well, I guess there is dialogue. Direct from One Year on Broadway. The film, this is basically all text, everyone. The film handled by critics says, unlike anything else you've ever seen on Earth, the New York Daily News. (laughs) Terrific, says the New York Times. Magnificent. A miracle. Colossal. Sea of Marvel. (laughs) The scenes that amazed thousands and brought them back again and again. Man, the... See the flower coloring fairies. The movie trailer guy really, yeah, would have been helpful here. He I should know. come back and, and and basically put his voice to this. It's just the one song. Hmm. Do you want to try the older one? See if there's one. Whatever one has a voice. Yeah, let's go to the 1990 reissue. So this is the 1990 reissue trailer. So... We are the real Brady Bros. Brady Brothers from the TV show Brady Bunch. I'm Barry Williams. And I'm Christopher Knight. I played Greg. And uh, who were you again? I played Peter. We've decided that we're going to do a podcast around episodes of the Brady Bunch. We're going to use it as a prism to look back to our experience doing the show and why the Brady Bunch is still popular. Have a sunshine day. We We are the real Brady Brady Bros. Bros. Walt Disney Pictures yeah. presents the 50th anniversary so of an all-time animated masterpiece. So, 50th anniversary. 
Fantasia. I love to play this music in uh, both of the trailers. The most incredible musical fantasy ever, ever. is back. Musical fantasy. This fall, you're invited to experience the breathtaking beauty. The wonderful adventure. A lot going on here. Yes. You have dinosaurs, hippos, centaurs, pegasus, elephants, Mickey, buckets, dancing, cherubs, and the gods, power dinosaurs. Of one of the most spectacular entertainment events of all time. Whoa. Oh. It's a motion picture you will never forget. These are like basically now, saying the same thing. Right. Like hyperbole, it's oh, the yeah. best, it's you'll the never forget it. Oh, yeah. Greatest of all time. Fantasia, okay. a symphony in sight and sound. A symphony in sight and sound. I mean, some whoever writes the script though is very. <laughs> it really is up on their hyperbole. I like yes, it. Yes, yes, indeed. All right, so let's jump into this film. So, little basic information. This is all brought to you from the World Wide Web, Box Yay. Office Mojo, Wikipedia, IMDb, and so forth. Uh, directors. There were quite a few of them. There were basically you know ten to twelve directors. And they each had their own segments that they worked on. Reading through this, um, I read there were over a thousand staff that was involved in this, and five hundred of them were animators. Dang! So it was very much a long. Uh, every a lot of people were involved in this. Long road. The release date was November thirteenth, nineteen forty. Runtime it depends. Uh, some some versions of the film are two hours five minutes, two hour five plus. Others are as short as basically an hour 20 minutes but the version that we watched that's available right now is two hours exactly budget 220 no whoa 228 million that is a lot no there's a there's a decimal there it's called 2.28 million dollars which is definitely more appropriate for the time still very very expensive and then box office it made 1.3 million dollars making it an even bigger money loser than pinocchio wah wah <laughs> I think by the 60s, by the late 60s, when it was re-released after a few times, it finally made its budget back. <laughs> Yay! And now it's gone on to make around, what, like 75 plus million dollars. Yeah. So uh, it's it's definitely, you know, it it takes took about 70 years to do so. That's usually not <laughs> what we try to do with our well, films. <laughs> what's so funny is I don't know if there's any other story that has such a, a roller coaster of a background than this one. Walt was so excited about it. At first, he was wanting to get a movie done with Mickey Mouse. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's been a while since we've seen Mickey and we want something to kind of bring him back into the public eye, make him more relevant. And so they're going to do Sorcerer's Stone. Or not Sorcerer's Stone. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Harry Potter. (laughs) 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 They were going to do the Sorcerer's You're a wizard, Mickey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Please do fan art. Somebody. Fan art or just a trailer. (laughs) You know, one of those trailers where they cut the scenes. Yes, Yes. that'd be very great. Somebody please do that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so they, Mickey, he's the Sorcerer's Apprentice. And so, uh, but by the time they finished that, he, well, so he had gotten in touch with Leopold Stotkowski. He he was the conductor. He was really prominent at the time. And while even, he went up to him and said, hey, would you do this? And he's like, yeah, I'll even do it for free. Let's mm-hmm. do it. So mm-hmm. it was like, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, I can just imagine how much of anim like animo, <laughs> how much excitement that would have and energy that would have given to Walt being like, yeah, full force ahead. You know, yeah. this guy will even do it for free. That's how big of a of a 
great thing this is going to be. And so they move forward and it just got to be so expensive. And then they are talking to Roy and Roy's like, um, you can't really put this out as a silly symphony mm-hmm. and you can't put this out on a small scale. It has to be a big scale to be able to make back its money. And so he's like, okay, let's make it a big scale, <laughs> <laughs> which is really all you need him to say. It's like, all right, go big or go home. And that's what he did. Up until this point, all of the movies that ever came out were mono. Mm-hmm. So there was never any surround sound. There was never even like stereo. It was just mono. And so he went ahead and this was actually because of Fantasia. It was the start of of how we see movies today. Mm-hmm. Because like Dolby Digital wouldn't be around yeah. <laughs> if this didn't come first. And it, basically they what they did is it three parts. So right now it would be the and most most TVs will do this type thing before you'd have like the two, the right and left and the center. Mm-hmm. So that's how they basically had it. So three speakers, but they had to be able to play all three different tracks at the same time to go along with this. And so it was, it was a big process for them at that point, which meant that they actually had to have like a crew follow this film going from theater to theater, like on a road show. And that was really what really tanked them that they just weren't able to, to give everybody. Cause while it was like, he's all about, about quality. Yes. You know, I can't make this, you're not going to get the 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 pitch because the pitch is that they are going you're going to be able to come and actually be in the theater with the symphony in mm-hmm. front of you. Mm-hmm. So that was it it did a lot of great things for the industry but really set him back yeah. a while. <laughs> but you know one thing I love about Walt is that he very much is this this visionary and dreamer in a way where he has an idea and he will like find a way technically to make it possible. Mm -hmm. He created so many different things, the multiplane camera, uh, the beginnings of this. There's just so many different things that he was always innovating and pushing the medium forward. And it makes me think about animation today. And we're kind of like, you know, there's, you know, parts of me in my time as an animation addict and and other people, you know, they grumble like 2d animation, like it needs to come back. It needs to come back. But like, isn't CGI and computer animation and what it's able to do to tell a story through animation. Isn't that pushing the technology? Cause you look back and you see some of these creative things that they did to, uh, you know, paint the background a certain way or make things move. And, and that was using technology to Mm -hmm. push it forward. I mean, why do we think that the, obviously it's, it's very much different. But it just makes me think, like, I'm really interested to see what, and this is totally a tangent, what what Walt would have seen, or Walt's opinion of where animation is today. That would be interesting. You know, so, but, you know, anyways, going back, I mean, he really was this creative mastermind who um, loved to innovate and then was willing to showcase that, even if it was at a cost to mm-hmm. him. I mean, Roy was always the one who was yeah, like, you like, the buddy! <laughs> Waltz, come on! Come on, man. I'm trying to keep you afloat here. Mm-hmm. And, like, you, you can't have one without the other with that. But, I mean, I just, as I was reading up on this, you just hear, and so many people were mentioned as, you know, a Disney engineer was able to create this. Mm-hmm. And all because... I mean, he reminds me a lot of Ford, Henry Ford, when he was just... He was like, I want you to put an, together an eight-cylinder engine. And they're like, um, that can't be done. Well, I'm going to put you in a room, and you're going to stay here until <laughs> you get it done. So make it happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of... I mean, 
I mean, I don't know if Walt was that much of a, you know, a crack in the whip, but <laughs> as like he, when you put the dream out there, everyone was in the dream as well. And everyone's mind was working to be able to make this a reality, mm -hmm. which really pushed so much of the industry forward. I just find it fascinating. So this film has quite a few reissues and re-releases. So in addition to the 1940, which went through 1941, that initial roadshow, mm -hmm. uh, it was re-released in 1942, 1946, 1956, and 1963. Then again, it was released in 1969, 1977, 1982, 1985, and 1990. Now, those versions before 1963 um, are kind of probably the most... Um, I'm trying to think. There's like so many different cuts. Did they make cuts to those initial versions? Yeah, um, it was. I mean, RKO made so many different. Oh yeah, cuts. yeah okay. Like the RKO was like, yeah, we're gonna re release this, but I want you to cut it, and I well, want you to cut the narrator. I want you to cut this segment, this segment, this segment, uh -huh. and make it short. And yeah, so that's why there's so many different versions uh -huh. of this film that exist. But the 1969 one. We will talk about what is unique about that version, which then has been continued on when we get to that segment. So I'm going to hold off there. Just know that there's something special. Um, so this was a struggle to make its money back because of the way that it had to be promoted. And all these different re-releases, yes, it kept making money slowly, slowly each re-release. I mean, there's so many re-releases yeah. for this movie. You'd think this movie wouldn't be popular, but actually, you know, this shows like there was an audience for it who had an appetite for it. But finally, over the course of all these different years, it's made back its budget. $76 million was what it has made theatrically. And if you adjust that to inflation, it's $693 million, yeah. which is insane. Um, I mean, obviously, it didn't actually make that much, but that just shows the number of people who ultimately have seen this over the years. It, on Wikipedia, it said it was the 22nd highest grossing film. I'm not sure if that Adjusted is, for inflation. Adjusted for inflation, yes. I'm not sure if that is still correct. Um, especially after all of the like billion dollar films that have come out recently. But um, I still think it's definitely up in the top 50 for sure as far as of all time. Mm -hmm. Dang. As far as awards go, Walt was really miffed because he didn't get the film shown in L.A. soon enough to be um, accepted into the Academy Awards or to be considered that year uh -huh. for Best Picture because he was like, Come on, <laughs> this should have been it. Yeah, should have started there. <laughs> it should have started here. But instead, the next year, they gave him two honorary Oscars, um, Academy Awards. But those are basically like a thank you for pushing sound and design and the two together in, in film. So talking about how critics thought about this film, for the most part, it was very well received mm -hmm. by critics. Um, they loved it. They thought it was a masterpiece. And there were people who didn't like it, but it mostly came from the classical music community, right. which I think is very interesting because you are going to, you know, hold your craft to the highest right. standard. And when anyone, when anyone tries to come in and, and kind of sell something to a mass market, yeah. most of the time it gets not dumbed down, but slightly watered down a bit. I, and with this, they had to, um, for example, the Rite of Spring, that actually... 
and I played the violin in orchestra, and we played different parts of Stravinsky's work, the Firebird Suite, which is in Fantasia 2000. And, um, you know, I'm just very familiar with classical music. And the version of Rite of Spring that's in here is different than how it actually is. They actually mm. cut it up and moved it around and mixed it up. And, <laughs> and it's not uh, that way. And actually... We've got to make it work with what the... Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they couldn't just have this, like, 29-minute piece, although that is one of the longest we will talk about. But... Igor Stravinsky was the composer, and he's actually the only composer who's alive dur- during um, when this was released. All the other composers they had previously, you know, passed, obviously, and he did not approve of this as well. No. Just did not was not for him. He's he called. I mean, everything was just. He was so ticked, just <laughs> incredibly ticked. But I think like what's funny is you know people who are purists yes. of the classical musical style. Um, I'm sure that they kind of, there's a little bit of it of like, you almost don't want this to be given to the masses. Yeah, exactly. Because you want this to be held as, as special as you hold it. And so in that way, it's like, well, Walt's like, Hey, I'm trying to share it with everybody and, mm-hmm. and make it, make it so the dumb guys can appreciate it, yeah. <laughs> which I'm um, bringing the symphony to you, which right. not everyone could have attended the symphony or the opera or some of these things back in the day, but he was through the technology able to really create this cool experience. Yeah. And then on top of that, have it accompanied with animation and these visuals. Right. So I can, I can kind of see how somebody would be like resentful for well, that. Especially if it was your masterpiece and they just yeah. chopped it up and diced it and said, here you go. Well, and his, Thanks a lot. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Spent a lot of time on that and you just <laughs> chop liver. <laughs> so let's talk about our initial thoughts about this film. Well, yeah. So my, my initial thoughts going into this is I was like, I was almost dreading this episode just because I, was, I just remember maybe sitting and watching the entire thing through start to finish one time. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the clips and I've seen different segments multiple times. And I'd be like, oh, we could watch Fantasia, but I really just want to watch this part. Mm -hmm. So fast forward. (laughs) And so I've done that many times, I I know. But I just know, and we had the original VHS copy when it came out in 91. And so I was pretty young when that happened. So I was just, my sensibilities weren't as... Refined. Refined, yes. yes. <laughs> so, and I thought that the the announcer guy was, like, like, I just thought he was, like, monotone and kind of creepy. <laughs> and I just didn't, didn't, I just didn't get there. It wasn't your cup of tea for no. the four-year-old, right. five-year-old Chelsea, right? <laughs> exactly. I don't blame you. So, actually, I'm quite the opposite. I remember watching this movie quite a bit when I was younger. And this was one that I would frequently pick out and just choose to watch. Don't know why, I just really liked it, and I really like the centaurs and the centaurettes and the pegasi, all good things. Um, like you, definitely, when I would watch this, sometimes I would watch it, uh, just cherry-pick certain episodes, so I would fast-forward do during certain scenes. But there were other times where I would just watch the whole thing straight through. This is a very long film, especially... I mean, here's the thing. It's only really more or less 30 minutes longer than your normal Disney animated feature, but it feels so much longer because there isn't a narrative from start to be, start from beginning to end and characters that you're involved in and, and really, like, dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, it, just doesn't, it doesn't have a continuous story, and so there's just vignettes that you see and, and you really have to pay attention visually and then, you know, audibly, because that's what tells the story, not 
words for the most part. And there are several climaxes, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which to me, it just made it feel like you're just going on this roller coaster that goes up and Mm -hmm. then down Mm -hmm. and then up and then down Mm -hmm. and then up and then down. So I just feel like by the end, I was just so tired. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, I like it. And every individually I like them, but it's just, but it's (laughs) when I saw originally when I was looking on Netflix to, to find it and to watch it, I saw it was two hours long and I was like, Oh no. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to be like buckled in, ready to go, and and really in the mindset to I'm see in this the mode. movie. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's let's first off introduce this. There are this initially. I don't think that I put two and together when I was little. The composer. Sorry. <laughs> when you're four years old, you're not putting I these. I did things. not. <laughs> so the conductor is not the same person as the announcer. Yeah, I didn't. So get that. the conductor, we always typically see him from behind. He's the one who stands up on the little podium, and. Uh, conducts the music obviously but then there is this announcer who narrates and he has the different sequences he explains a little bit about the pieces before we go that is music critic and composer deems taylor so he is our master of ceremonies thank you thank you first segment is the toccata and fugue in d minor by bach thanks bach So there are three different ways that they are going to visually be depicting this music here. One is a very clear story where the music uh, tells a story and then the animation kind of has this narrative. Another one is just abstract shapes and just things that would come to your mind. Mm -hmm. And then the third is more concrete pictures, but not necessarily a story attached to it. Yeah. Right. So kind of in between the two. Mm Mm-hmm. So this first one is actually that third category. Um, Not super abstract, it's sort of in the middle. When I think of this one, I think of that big like boulder walking down the hallway. Do, 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 you know, and and that's what I always think. It's a boulder walking down a hallway, which makes no sense at all. (laughs) Maybe that's not even what it is. I also think of there's a there's a part where it shows just the very tips of the bows for the violins in, in the sky, just going up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, and it's like creating this very beautiful um, picture and scene, and then they fly down, and so an interesting way to start it, which I actually like that they started off this way, because it's not like boom into a story, it's, we're gonna, we're gonna slowly ease into this, (laughs) so, you know, here's your traditional symphony, here's this middle ground where we're just gonna kind of show these, these scenes, um, but not stories, and then they're gonna jump into a story, and Mm -hmm. they kind of jump back and forth, back and forth. I really liked how they did all the shadow work with the different parts of the orchestra. Mm-hmm. I was actually really interested to oh, know... Oh, the live action part. Yeah, the live action. I was actually really interested to know how they like did all that mm-hmm. for lighting. I'm like, did you just take individual shots? I'm mm-hmm. like, just thinking mm-hmm. editing-wise. I'm like, how would you do that? Yes, yes, because yes, at the very beginning of this, before we even get into the animation, they show the symphony, the symphony and the symphony members, and they kind of use movie magic to Mm -hmm. amplify and make those greater and and again easing us into this process and another thing i really like i mean i think when you think about fantasia you think oh it's all animated and probably have the assumption that there's no words there actually Mm -hmm. are words yeah there are there are sequences where they actually like explain what pitches are and yeah and things like that but uh, that is definitely a fallacy. There's definitely words here. And another thing I do like is it's this a hybrid film, technically. Yeah. It's a 2D live action hybrid. And I do like those sequences with the orchestra 
because they're lit very interestingly. They are. And different, like, very bright, vibrant colors. Most of them are shrouded, um, actually, in darkness, other than just a little highlight on kind of, like, the silhouette. The timpani drums were my favorite, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Another thing that I like is, at the very beginning, before we even get into this, is it, it just... It's like a real symphony where yeah. the symphony members are slowly just appearing on stage whenever they're ready. They're kind of playing a few notes, practicing, warming up. The only thing we're missing is someone playing the A note and then tuning <laughs> the whole orchestra, but they cut that part out. But I'm glad they did. Yes. <laughs> so that's Toccata and Fugue. It, it's a very well-known piece. You know, it's like, And what I like about this, I think some of these are pretty well-known. Some of the pieces they pick, others not so much. Uh, at least from a contemporary art audience today. And uh, obviously this film has propagated some of these songs yeah. to the spotlight because of they're now very recognizable as, oh, that's in Fantasia. I think when you think Sorcerer's Apprentice, you cannot help but think of Mickey. this and Mickey, <laughs> right? Um, so the next one we jump into is the Nutcracker Suite. And they mention this in the dialogue that this was actually not his most famous nor his favorite nor his favorite didn't really like this no one really saw this uh it was commissioned obviously as a ballet but he didn't really love it but it has and he has dry sarcasm here like a little thing you've probably never heard of they don't right. play it anymore today and <laughs> that is very tongue-in-cheek because right. it's one of it's probably his most popular and famous yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Everybody's heard Nutcracker Suite. And I like that they didn't go the traditional. He's like, you're not going to see any Nutcrackers here, which is good. They took yeah. something that's very, has very um, iconic imagery as far as the ballet and right. flipped it on its head. And within here, there's these different suites, right? Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great way. I, I When I think of this, I just think of the doo 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 with her little magic wand and she's hitting the yeah. little you know, putting the dew on the flowers in the morning and just sliding across. And I think that's nice. I do like that as well. I, I really liked the Chinese dance. Mm -hmm. That's one of those that kind of sticks in my mind. Like the mushrooms. The, the mushrooms. Yeah. And they're just like waving their heads up and down <laughs> and the little one kind of like getting lost in there. That one's one for me that kind of sticks out. And then you got like the dance of the reed flutes, which to me just looks like a bunch of apron, like uh, handkerchiefs. <laughs> Yes, very Beauty and the Beast. Be our guest, be our guest. Yeah, the Arabian dance. That's this is more of a slow do 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 with the fish dancing, and I love her tail. How it's just in front of her face, and it's very transparent in a way. And one thing I like, I mean, they really do switch from different art styles from within the different songs, but even within these sub songs and sub pieces within, you know, the very first one, Sugar Plum Fairy is um, a certain style for yeah. those fairies. And then the Chinese dance, I mean, a little bit more of a cartoony mushroom than yeah. you would be used to. And it's just switching all around. And it yeah. really, I enjoy it because they, they basically said, you know, probably to the group that was over this, like pick your style. And go for it. Uh -huh. You know, how do, how do you want to depict this? And so we see the variation in this section. And then the Russian dance. That one's always been one of my favorites, too. Mm -hmm. And then the flowers. Waltz of the Flowers with the pixies. Yep, so it's mostly flowers, fish, and fairies. <laughs> so it was fun, though. I really... This is... Um, the Nutcracker Suite, because they are so recognizable, they, it does a good job. I'm glad that they put it at the beginning mm -hmm. because it, it does keep you engaged. Yeah. And it's interesting because as I'm listening to that, as I'm watching these visuals, 
I don't think Christmas at all no. when I'm watching this, which is a probably great thing that they did and, and shows it's a testament of how good they are is because they're able to take something that really has very iconic uh, symbols and feelings mm-hmm. and associations and flip it on its head and make you think of something else at, yeah. Yeah, in the moment, which is great. So let's jump into arguably one of the most popular sections is the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is the one that started it all, kind of was right. the reason we wanted to, he, Walt wanted this. Um, and it, it's Mickey. <laughs> like, this is probably the reason why it's so popular. You know, it is Mickey. Mickey is, he's an institution. Mm-hmm. He is the mouse. Also, I mean, the story is really quite terrifying. <laughs> 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 like, I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're multiplying. There's so much water. Like me, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a clean freak. But at the same time, I, I look at things in the way of like, I don't want to clean that. Like I, I like cleaning things and having it be done. And then just to have like some things like fall over and just be done again. I'm like, I, I already cleaned that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it again. So it's like just seeing that and like all the water flowing up. I'm just like, oh no, yeah. so much work. <laughs> this is actually based on a 1979 poem. I am not even going to try to pronunciate it. case in point okay Der Zaberling yes anyway so that is interestingly enough that this piece The Sorcerer's Apprentice is based on this poem Mm -hmm. and so they take those two things the poem and then the actual music that's inspired by the poem and then they create their own piece Mm -hmm. and like you said this is about an apprentice who you know the master has told him no but the master goes to sleep and he goes anyway. He takes the hat, which this is probably the greatest takeaway from the whole uh-huh. Fantasia piece is this this sorcerer Mickey and particularly the Mickey hat, which is uh-huh. representative of the parks. The it's, parks. it's in um, the, you know, the hat building at the studio but, yeah. <laughs> for the animation building. Um, it's very, very iconic nowadays. So yeah, the apprentice, he goes, the the master goes to sleep, and he says, well, I'm going to put the hat on, and I, I don't want to do my chore, so I'm going to use the magic to multiply and have have this broom. Come on, bucket mop broom. Flora says, clean up the room. <laughs> Mickey says, in this case. Yes. So uh, it just goes horribly awry, and then turns out that the the sorcerer has to save the day and, and uh-huh. basically gives him a swat on the bottom and off we go. And I love the ending. I just love how it's do-do-do-do and it ends. Yeah. Um, I think that's just, a, this is a, a definitely a favorite of mine. Yeah, I would say so. I, I remember specific times being like, okay, I'll watch this movie, but only that part. <laughs> it's like, that's the only reason I watched it sometimes when, you know, the five, six-year-old self. Um, and I just, and I, as I was going through this, I kind of realized that some of these I didn't appreciate it as much just because in a lot of the songs, I I like being able to put my own visuals to it unless it is a like actual story mm-hmm. because there's some stories that I have just really loved. Like for example, I think back to the silly symphonies when you've got Peter and the wolf. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one of the most iconic to me, like as far as silly symphonies. Well, there's a lot that are iconic, but that one is probably my favorite just because I feel like I could still hear that that's that score and have that entire movie in my head it was hard for me to to focus i guess 
See, and I'm like completely opposite of this is because because I think I grew up watching this movie is now whenever I hear classical music, I try to close my eyes and imagine a story that accompanies it. Uh-huh. You know, I think really the pastoral suite in this one um, are the ones that tell a very clear, definite story. And so when I am listening to classical music or I do go to the symphony or whatever, I sit and I close my eyes and I'm like, what story is this to tell? Right. Not saying that all pieces of lyric pieces of music have to tell a story. I think sometimes it's just to evoke emotion and a feeling, but I try to find the no, story yeah, in my yeah. head. Yeah, no, I know. I, I do that too, but I'm just saying like some of them, it was harder for me to focus on what was, I would have rather have like been just listening than having to listen and watch. Mm-hmm. There, I just felt like there was a little bit of a disconnect for me in mm-hmm. some places. So this, there is a, since this is one of the most popular segments, it did spawn a live action remake, which are oh so prominent nowadays. <laughs> oh. This was really ahead of its time back in 2010, but yeah. it's called The Sorcerer's Apprentice and it stars Nicolas Cage. I did see it in theaters. I really can't tell you much about what's happening with that movie, except for I think One Republic has a song either in the credits or in the film. And uh, there's some sort of teenager dude, and that's about it. <laughs> I never saw it. I was, I think that was my thing. Like, I looked at this whole, just, I mean, you take something that's so short, and you try and, it's uh, so succinct, and you try and expand it like that. I was just like, you didn't need to. Mm-hmm. So I, I never saw it for that reason. So the next one is very interesting. This is the Stravinsky piece, mm-hmm. which is Rite of Spring, also known as the Dinosaur One. Yes. <laughs> and this basically tells the um, story of the dinosaurs who, who basically owned the Earth for 200 million years, and it talks about their rise and fall. Yeah. Can we go back just a, just a tad? Right before they start this, they have this part where, like, somebody, they've got these, like, pipes... I don't, it's an instrument that you like, you bang on and it makes sounds, but like, like chime sort of thing. Yeah. Kind of. And they were falling off. And like, so you had like two guys like trying to put it all together. And <laughs> like, I guess it's trying to, it's trying to add more reality to this experience. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you're watching little, these little quirks and things happen. But what's funny is like, you see the violins at the bottom and they're just laughing at the guy. <laughs> like, thanks violins. You think you're all that. So right of spring, the rise and fall of the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I want to like this one, but it is probably the longest segment. Uh It's very long, and I feel that it does get a bit dry. (laughs) Get it? (laughs) Um, If you've watched the whole thing all the way through, which I hope you have, it turns into basically a dust bowl at the end, which is um, what one uh, interpretation of what happened to dinosaurs and how they suddenly just died. Um, Interestingly enough, there was going to be this... Uh, interestingly enough, it ends with the dinosaurs just decaying and turning into bones, and mm-hmm. then that's where we leave it off. But an initial version of this had it leading from dinosaurs to the rise of man. Oh, really? And there were people who were against the idea of showing evolution. Right. Like, man evolved from these other creatures. Right. And they did not want that shown in here, and so eventually they just cut it because they didn't want to have to deal with potential drama that could have from right. these people raising a stink. Um, it's, it's fine. You know, I think there's a lot going on here. I, it's just so much. I mean, you, you start with just little organisms in the water and then you very lush 
animals and not animals, but the dinosaurs, you know, there's pterodactyls and they're eating and they're doing this. And then there's fighting and there's volcanoes and there's also volcanoes at the very beginning showing the beginning of the earth. And it's very monochromatic in the, in the fact that the majority of the time it's kind of these oranges and these reds, yellow color palette. Yeah. Yeah. It's dark in a bit, in a way it's, it's it, it's good, I guess, but it's definitely one of my least favorite. I have like a love hate relationship. Yeah, I like the concept and I like certain aspects, but um, it's just tough to get through. This was the one where I was like, okay, come on. Yeah, yeah, and well, it was funny at the very end. I mean, the moment it gets into the dinosaurs, I immediately think Land Before Time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know, there's that part where. The Stegosaurus gets, you know, killed by the <laughs> Tyrannosaurus. And I'm just like, I, I can totally hear Littlefoot, mother, <laughs> that part. And then I'm just like, brutal realities, kids. Brutal realities yeah. as he's like decaying on the ground. One thing I do uh, notice this time around is that the animation, so there's that part where the different pieces of the earth are shooting up and jagging and falling. And the earth is, you know, plate tectonics are happening, basically. Yeah. And... I definitely noticed that the animation seemed to have cut a lot of corners during that section. It wasn't the smooth animation that we were used to. It was almost that they cut a few frames out and they only animated like on sevens or something. And um, as someone who's you know watched quite a bit of animated films, it, it definitely stood stood out to me that there were corners cut during that section. Because uh-huh. I feel like for the most part, they didn't cut a lot of corners in this. They put a lot of time and effort into every section. Um, and every section kind of has a different vibe as far as animation yeah. style, but maybe that was on purpose, but that was something that I noticed. Um, so yes, let's just jump into the intermission. And I can't remember this in the VHS version. Now I can't ask you cause you probably, you said you've seen it about once, but I just yeah. don't remember them having this intermission and I'm sure it existed in the 1991 VHS copy, the black version, the yes. black copy. The black was uh, very much different from any of the other VHS cases still, that we had. I still have that. <laughs> That's the one you watched? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't watch it. I, I watched it's on, it on Netflix, Netflix now. It makes <laughs> but, it a little easier, right? Yeah. Than having to rewind behind it. <laughs> right. Pull out the dinosaur. <laughs> Literally. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. No, it's... I still have that. I As long as well as all of our Disney VHSs, mm-hmm. we still have them packed away. We, and we still have a player, so... <laughs> hey, that's usually the key to hold on, holding on to them. So, yes, we have this intermission, and it, it says, oh, we're going to have a 15-minute 15 15 intermission, intermission. And I do not think it was 15 minutes, because I kind of scrolled on yeah, my Netflix. No, it it's not 15 minutes. It's they, like 30 seconds. They, it's not. It's like five-ish minutes. Because well, the, the actual orchestra, they get off stage. Right. And then they get back on stage. So I scrolled from like the time it started to they started coming back on stage and reintroducing. It was a few minutes, but definitely not 15. Right. So they wanted to... They had, a, they had like a, a still frame for a second or two, um, like 10 seconds or something. And I'm guessing that's where you're supposed to pause. <laughs> <laughs> or they actually had right. an intermission and... At the time. So just like just pause you know, I see. It would be interesting to actually have gone and watched this in the theater. It would. Have it would been. have been a very cool experience. Um, I think they probably would have had a real intermission. Yeah, like right where that pause would have been, and and maybe that's what we're supposed to do that we don't really do in the home media thing because right. I feel like when you're watching old films that are quite long, like Sound of Music, uh-huh. um, like they actually have an intermission section where it's just playing music for like 15 minutes and has intermission written on right. the screen. I feel that for us to actually 
do what we are supposedly told, we would have needed something like that. Yeah. Um, and I would have loved them to kept like the full real intermission. Cause I love going back and watching old films and there is just like that intermission still yeah. that, that just holds in. It's like, okay, well, let me go, let me go pee. <laughs> let me go get some food. Yeah. I'll be back. Give me some jujubes. I think that could have definitely reinvigorated me in uh, watching I think this. so too. If I and, which is, which is, I mean, you have issues. that in Broadway musicals, <laughs> mm-hmm. you have that in the symphony. So it makes sense that that existed. It's just, I, it, it doesn't really execute. I think we just plow through it and yeah. Home media is hard to execute that because yeah. you're just not expecting it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you actually held it out and yeah. had the words intermission, please go do something during this time. <laughs> <laughs> right. I wish point in time I would just end up fast forwarding. Yes. Or <laughs> so it's like. Getting stuck in a YouTube video on your phone and be like, oh, crap, the movie's over. <laughs> okay. So now after this part, before we go into the pastoral suite, there is this little music theory section. Not really music theory, well, but they- they're like getting on too. Like there's this one guy, it's, it's cute. Like there's this one couple guys who like they're practicing and they just go into this like jazz, like ditty. <laughs> and I'm like, play more of that. <laughs> That's for the sequel. <laughs> yeah. So we get this, um, visualization of different pitches and sounds, you know, uh-huh. play uh, the oboe or play the bassoon and, mm-hmm. uh, and and don't be shy. And he's acting as if this little string of a chord that's supposed to the represent sound. the sound waves uh, has personality. And it's, it's cute in a way. It's yeah. very 1940s Disney, you know, yeah. of these different shorts and films that they did. And so they have that. And then, uh, you know, they have, oh, let's play a violin. And I, I loved that growing up. I thought it was very cool to see the different representation of the sound waves. Um, very, not that big of a segment, but so it leads us into the pastoral symphony, which um, I love. Love I this one. Being a horse fan, I always liked this. <laughs> so if it has music or horses, Chelsea is in. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. <laughs> but this to me is the most complete because unlike the rite of spring it it they both i guess tell a story but this one tells a more distinct story but it's still long i think some of them are very successful because it's a very short piece and it tells a story but this one actually is three movements uh-huh. uh and tells three different there's three different phases or things that are happening which i i thought was very cool so the the opening movement is the pegasi as they are floating around and flying and learning how the little babies are learning oh, how to fly. Oh, He's so cute. Yeah, so that's one thing that I really liked is that there is this dichotomy between the big black pegasus, who he even has red eyes, like scary, <laughs> almost evil looking. Yeah. You know, like this is the, the devil pegasus. And then his uh, wife or companion, as you will, she is just this... The white The white counterpart you know you got the yin and the yang Uh and then their children or their kids their foals are (laughs) they're not goats (laughs) their foals are just these very cute my little pony pastel ponies Uh but then you got the one well i guess is the black foal in the family who's the basically the mix of the two he has the black body and the white hair and i thought that was kind of cute how and he's still trying to figure things out he's the one who hasn't quite left the nest right uh she's still under mama's wing and then Super decides cute. to come out. And so we follow him around as he's, and the whole family basically as they're flying. And one, one of the, the scenes that I love when I think about this is just how the Pegasus, the Pegasi are in the water. Uh-huh. And they're almost like ducks just like swimming in the water. And then this big sea of all these other Pegasi f- fly in. 
it's just a very interesting it is. visual. Yeah. And then I just, I love the art design. Mm-hmm. I just feel like there's the, the round faces and just the, the whole thing is so 40s. And it just makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that on top of the Greek slash Roman design, you know, yeah. this is a very classically Greek, in addition to like the 40s Disney style, but the architecture and different pieces and how it, and the, and the scene in which it is set mm-hmm. is Greek. You know, we have the gods, we have centaurs, centaurettes, pegasi, Greek columns, grapes, <laughs> wine. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's set in an era, which is yeah. pretty cool. So we, we jump right into this next scene, which is the dating sequence. The centaurs. Of the centaurs and the centaurettes and, and the cherubs, of course. But one thing I really like is right at the very beginning, we have the centaurettes bathing in the rivers <laughs> and they are nude. Of like, course. They don't have tops. Because uh, they are taking their showers, right? Yeah. And apparently the original idea of this was to have them never, you know, like it was, this is a very artistically pushing the boundaries, I guess, in a way right. com- compared to other Disney films. It's very artistic. And I would have been totally fine with them showing bare-breasted centaurettes. Well, they don't show, not... they're not showing nipples. And right. It's not lewd in any way. Right. It's tastefully done, but they they were not able to do that for the whole thing because of the censors and right. and whatnot. So that's unfortunate because they had to kind of like drape these lays over them and flowers <laughs> and like little bikini tops. And it, it works, I, but it doesn't pretty. work. They're cute. <laughs> Here's my question though, as I'm watching this, and this is has never crossed my mind, and I'm not sure if it'll ever not cross my mind after. It was kind of like a like mind blown moment. <laughs> I think about it, and I was just looking at him like, how does a centaur's digestive system actually work? Like, that's a lot of stomach. <laughs> Are they like cows, or they have like four stomachs and like all different parts? I don't know. You tell me. Do horses have four stomachs? I thought horses only have one stomach. Horses, yeah, they just have one. But cows, a centaur is a half horse. Right. So why would it have four stomachs like I don't a know, cow? But I'm, I'm just saying, like, multiple a- different animals have different digestive systems. So a cow would have four stomachs, so does a centaur have two? Like, is that, these, these are the, mm, I see Chelsea, you're, you're welcome. This, you are clearly fading <laughs> at this point in the film, an hour in, Chelsea is out, she is thinking about tummies and how she wants to put some food in her tummy, or yes. four of them if she were a centaurette. <laughs> All right. That makes a lot of sense, yes, thank you. So, going back to our dating ritual, you know, we have these little cherubs that are uh, kind of the, the handmaidens or, and monsieurs i guess yeah. to the to the centaurettes because hey the suitors are coming and boop 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 they even play their little horn they hey. come dashing around and the ladies oh and they have their moment where they are getting glammed up right and one thing i ne- the one thing that i never liked you know they put these cherubs have hor and these centaurettes have horrible taste in whatever sort of fashion this is. I mean, really, we're ripping bark off of a tree, wrapping <laughs> string around it, sticking it on your head, and throwing flowers in there like a vase. I never, I like it. even when I was little, did not appreciate that. I said, what <laughs> the heck is that? <laughs> Knock it off, of get it head. off your head. And then, oh, okay, I, I, they have the Lucille Ball character with the red hair. Yeah. And they throw the two doves on. I'm like, okay, that looks good. She has a nice little updo. Um, no, no, that's not working. So they put the hair down. Oh, even better. But let's put the doves back on. Okay, great. Now, just for a little artistic pizzazz, let's throw one wing up in the air. <laughs> Like, I, I don't mean, get it. I, I don't get it. <laughs> these 
Anyways, these are the things I think about when I watch this, (laughs) is the fashion choices of these centaurs. (laughs) Um, And so before we kind of jump into this, there is some you know, the cherubs for the most part are helping these centaurettes get ready for the ball or meeting their suitors, if you will. Now, there is a centaurette. It's kind of a hard word to say. Centaurette, centaurette, centaurette. It's difficult on the tongue. But there was one named Sunflower. Now, have you heard about Sunflower? I... Vaguely. Okay, well, remember we talked about there was this version in 1969, which from here on out changed everything. So Uh she actually was a black slave centaurette, and in that version of 1969 onwards, she was censored out. Because basically what she was is she perpetuated these you know, racist stereotypes of, you know, black being a slave to the white centaurs, or, you know, there are other colors. There's blues, there's pinks, whatever, yellows. Um, and that was not helpful, you know, even back then, definitely right now, if that oh was still gosh. around, that would not fly. But even back then it's, Get it's the... they, they even said, okay, like this was not very tastefully done. And so, um, I'll include a link, a link in the show notes where you can see a side by side comparison of the original version yeah. and where she is included and then how they sort of edited around it. Mm-hmm. And another thing is her character is, I mean, for the most part, these, these centaurettes are very serene looking. They have a, like a, a, an elevated sort of design yeah. and she's just very cartoony, like almost like a 1930s, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your spaghetti arm, not that she has spaghetti arms, but sort of that style yeah. where it's just sort of a bulbous design compared to, the more refined centaurs and centaurettes. And so obviously she was removed. There actually is another um, centaurette just like her named Otika. And she is in, you don't see this in the film, but there's a, when Bacchus, the god of wine comes down, they unroll a red carpet for him. Now, originally she was in there. She was the one rolling the carpet out, but in the new version, uh, it just rolls itself out. They literally <laughs> just erased her from it, and, and she's the one. So there are two, those that Sunflower and Otika, they are Got no the more. Song, song no of more. the South treatment on that one. Oh, yes, except one day we'll get that, but probably not. Probably not. So another thing, so just going back to um, one thing that I like about this is I like that they, they're, they the centaurettes, in meeting their suitors. I mean, they're basically doing the whole princesses on parade thing, like yes. walking down the steps, showing off my moves. Like I'm in my pageant. Let me flip my tail. Beauty and yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, they're basically showing themselves off for the boys. So the boys can take their pick, right. which, um, kind of sexist, I guess in a way, <laughs> but whatever it is what it is. And, but the one thing I do like about this is they literally find their other half. Yeah. represented by the color of, um, you know, if I'm a blue centaurette, I found the other blue one. The pink one went with the pink one. The blonde one with the blonde one. Now, this isn't very much for, I guess, interracial mixing. Right. But we see that at the beginning with the pegasi and the black one and the white one, yeah. and they have the mix. So all things are represented here. But to me, just on a high level, um, not, I'm not trying to get, like, political or, like, no. deep dive, and I definitely don't think that's... A, was on their mind at all. But I, I just enjoyed that. Like I really f- liked that visually by just showing a color, whether it was pink or blue or yellow, just finding your match and like your mm-hmm. complete, because they even looked the same. Um, and it was like, Oh, just like, like one of those friendship necklaces with the, with the, right. the, the, heart. the heart. And then it was just like the, the squiggle F-F. down the middle and you just like put them together. And so yeah. 
that's one thing that I always kind of enjoyed is that they found their match. So this then, after everyone's found their match and they're all Twitter-pated, sitting under the trees, having a good time, it leads us into the third movement where Bacchus, the god of wine, again, now we go back to a more less refined style, which is more cartoony, mm-hmm. and he's just like this bumbling oaf with his little donkey, and everyone is so happy. He also, if you didn't know, he is the god of um, agriculture and the god oh. of fertility. So no wonder all these centaurs and centaurettes are like, hooray, he's coming, <laughs> bring him, bring the wine. Maybe he, will, maybe he will bless us with children. So, you know, they all come out and everyone's dancing and having a great time. It's very jovial. Right. But the party quickly ends. And he definitely reminds me a lot of um, and Mickey's Christmas Carol. You've got the god of the future oh yeah uh, or the spirit presence the yeah. one with like the, glut- the, the gluttonous yeah 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 um so I, I, just the roundness and the bubbliness mm-hmm, of him mm-hmm. i'm like oh yeah i like you <laughs> so we definitely switch gears really quickly because zeus uh-huh. uh, gets his lightning bolts already and hello flash flood of wine Bacchus likes that a lot when he <laughs> discovers what's happening, but everyone takes shelter. But the storm does pass in the end. Zeus gets tired, says, eh, no more. And at the very end, we, we actually see quite a bit of these Greek gods, Roman gods. Um, you know, the rainbow comes across the sky. It turns to... Uh, it just ends in a very peaceful way. Because yeah. I liked this one because it not only did the music, did the story have a beginning, middle, and end, but the music itself, just the way that it was composed, they're very much... This is the high point and, like, the climax is during this sort of battle uh, it's not really a battle. They're not fighting back or shooting arrows, but um, they're being attacked. It's yeah. very tense. Well, but then it ends the in a bit. also shows that, like, the tense. Mm-hmm. At the very end, it kind of ties very back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. Very similar melody. And it's very calm and peaceful and it ends. And it starts all over again. <laughs> yeah. And so that's my favorite, really probably my favorite one. When I was growing up, that is the one that I would fast forward to and watch. Just yeah. Because... It was very pretty, and it had a very definite storyline, and I liked it. So that is a favorite of mine. Nice. Well, the next one is probably also one of the more iconic ones, I would say, Mm -hmm. called Dance of the Hours. Mm -hmm. And it is, you got ballet at its finest. (laughs) Ostriches, hippos, (laughs) elephants, crocodiles, and more hippos. Mm -hmm. That's really all that matters in this one. Yeah, when I think about this one, all those different animals, I I think of the ostrich, I think of the hippos, and I think of the gators. But typically I do forget about that. Oh yeah, there's elephants here that are dancing as well. They, They... just slipped my mind, but yeah, it, it's mostly the hippos, though. Like, well, think... and the main hippo who does her little dance, right? With and the she's gator. all like, hey, hey. <laughs> and this is a great example of one of the principles of animation: squash and stretch. Yes, like just sit and watch this and be amazed. And this is very, very well animated. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's one part. I mean, you just look at that hippo and the weight that she is carrying around. They had a 200 pound woman. Uh, come and do live action oh, wow. <gasps> uh, still footage for them, basically, so reference, and just had her dance, you know, do some ballet moves so they could kind of get a feel of the undulations uh-huh. of the body. But there's another part that really stood out to me is when one of the, it's zoomed in on the feet and the ballet shoes of one of the ostriches, and she's kind of going up on the points of their toes and then down, up on the points and down. And if you just watch that, you see the somewhat exaggerated squash and stretch. And yeah. it's very cool to watch that because um, that really 
you had to exaggerate this. I mean, you already have these crazy characters that normally would not be wearing these, would not be dancing. This is out of their element, and then they push it even more with the animation. Yeah. What's funny, I totally forgot about the crocodiles, in, or the alligators, mm-hmm. or whatever they are. Um, and But then I realized, as I'm looking at them, I'm like, he totally makes a cameo in Robin Hood. <laughs> yes. Like, it's the exact same character. Hey. That they just kind of like, well, bring him back. Yeah, That's exactly. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I, as I was watching this, I was just thinking to myself, okay, um, of all of the, of all of the film, of the, the little segments, like which ones, I honestly think for me, this one is one of the ones that come up in my top three. Mm-hmm. So if I were to pick three that I just think of this, like Fantasia represents, okay, the top three images that are in my head. Mickey, Sorcerer's Hat, mm-hmm. um, Nightmare on Bald Mountain, and the Hippos. Mm-hmm. Like, t- for me, that's all I see. <laughs> like, all the other ones I remember as I go through it, but those are the, for me, those are the main ones. Interesting. That also leads us into a Night on Bald Mountain. A Night on Bald Mountain, which is a very iconic piece. It definitely switches things up. If things were rosy and happy with this one and then the pastoral suite, it is on the other end of the spectrum with a night in Bald Mountain. And this one is very scary mm-hmm. in a way. I think younger children would be terrified or somewhat frightened from this, mm-hmm. potentially, um, because it has darker subject matter. It's basically the devil and his minions. There are spirits, there are ghosts, there are skeletons. There's all sorts of creatures like from you know hell, more or less. Yeah that are coming up at night and terrorizing. And this one actually, likewise, has very interesting animation, Mm -hmm. um, particularly the scenes with the fire. I was watching it, and just the way that it was animated and different creatures were falling into the fire, and I I liked it a lot for that because it was was interesting. And I thought it was really cool because you get, you know, you realize, you know, these are his minions, but he's burning them. Yeah. So like, he's just like, there's no one safe in this. It's well, just... yeah, and that's, I mean, to take this from more of a, take this from more of like a spiritual setting, it's like Satan is never going to have your back. Right. It's always him. He can throw you. He'll use you for a moment and you'll feel, you know, yeah, whatever. But then he can drop you at a moment's notice and just like he does. Will. Yes. It's it's all about him. And so that's really uh, represented here yeah. that they're thrown into the fire and pit of doom and see you later. Yeah. I am number one. This is the Chernabog. You know, more or less, we're calling him Satan, but it's yeah. a, a, a mythical creature right. that is very scary. He has horns, he's big wings. I would not like to cross him in the night, so let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, the thing is, like, they've actually announced that they're going to do a live-action video of this one as well. Oh, gosh. And I'm just like, oh, once again, kind of one of the 19 that are about to come our way. Yes. Um... And I just, my only hope, I'm fine if they do it, but I'm, my only hope is that they don't take the, like, a note out of Maleficent book or go down that road uh-huh. of, like, try and... and make him a good make guy. Make him a good guy. <laughs> and I'm just like, he's Satan. Like, this is what he is. Yeah. Like, yeah. So please, people at Disney, please, if you ever listen to this, please don't do that. Please. So this ties right into a, a more serene song it's ave maria and this is really subdued in as far as the animation it kind of we've had these different moments where it's very visual it tells a story uh very literal and then this is obviously there are it's literal in the way that we see people walking through the forest but it's very calm 
Well, and it's, the, it's, it's the light to the dark. Mm-hmm. So you first you got Satan and the darkness, mm-hmm. but now here's coming in the hope, mm-hmm. and here's coming with the light and mm-hmm. with the song, and also flashbacks of my eighth grade choir concert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I just I thought that this part was quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great way to end it. I mean, you could think... There's lots of ways that they potentially could have ended Fantasia. Mm-hmm. They could have put one of the big, fun numbers at the end and, and end with a splash. But I think just they started subtly. They grew in the middle. They had these stories. And then they taper it back off, kind of like leading you back into reality. is mm-hmm. a, a, nice, a nice touch. Well, and at that point in time, I started thinking to myself, okay... I really like how they did bring it in with the hope and everything, mm-hmm. but I also find it really interesting how culturally in the 40s, God really was the clear definition of hope. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if this were to be put out now, it would have been more of a like a believe in yourself type of a spin on things, <laughs> you know, and just so they don't cause any controversy or something yeah. like that. Um, but I really appreciated that whole last scene. My favorite part actually of that scene it was bringing back the multi-plane camera mm-hmm. as they're going through the trees to the sunset mm-hmm. or the sunrise and they're just like so pretty mm-hmm. so that one just was beautiful All right, so before we go into us rating it, we did ask a question on Instagram and on Twitter about basically what are the top three things that stand out to you when you think of Fantasia? So let's pull that up. You want to do Instagram and I'll do Twitter? Sure. Yeah, so we'll read some of the top things. And the reason Chelsea, she asked this question, she asked top three, is because she had her own ideas of what she thinks basically would be the number one things, which I didn't think of. She thinks Sorcerer's Apprentice and the right, or the dance of the hours. Now, when I think of this, I think of Pastoral Suite number one, uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice, and then Rite of Spring, surprisingly. So... Very, very interesting. Um, I will read some of the comments that we got. Someone said, Sorcerer's Apprentice, Night on Bald Mountain, Toccata and Fugue. Oh, no, you said Night on Bald Mountain. You you thought that people would say Sorcerer's Apprentice and Night on Bald Mountain. Yeah, I thought those would be like the clear two things. But then I also wanted to see what the third would be. Yeah. Um, Another... Uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice, Night on Bald Mountain, Dinosaurs. And I love that just like the different like <laughs> names that people call the segments. Like they may not know the actual official name of it, but more or less represented. Dinosaurs, yeah, we all know what you're talking yeah. about. Uh, scenic underscore drive says hippos, Ave Maria, and Sorcerer's Apprentice. For sure, I immediately think of hippos, and the Ave Maria scene is my favorite and the most impactful to me. Here, my, my actual question was thinking, like, I think, I feel like people would be with me in thinking I'm Night of the or <laughs> Dance of the Hours <laughs> um, and the hippo scene, basically. Yeah. So this is, that was kind of my, my social experiment. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll see. Dylan Mentis says, Mickey slash Sorcerer's Apprentice is forever the most iconic. I also think the hippo and alligator dancing and Night on, on Bald Mountain. So anyways, those are just a few yeah. answers. People are saying all sorts of things. We should yeah, have done a do. poll to get like percentage wise. I know. We should have. the most common. We'll do that next time. So yeah. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, so you can get in on the pullage. 
a couple of fun ones here on Twitter. You know, you've got the closing scene with Ave Maria playing in the background is my absolute favorite, simply breathtaking, and the pastoral, pastoral symphony and Bald Mountain. So um, there's that. Um, we got somebody who said, Brooke Nelson said, added the Source of the Apprentice, the cute little dancing mushrooms, and Bald Mountain. <laughs> yeah. See, everyone has these different things that stick with them. Yeah. It's very interesting. And then um, Takata in Fugue, the, you know, just the first scene, you know, with the with yep. the conductor on top. The, the boulder going down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> mushrooms and hippo ballerinas. Yeah, so I mean, it's just really cool to see like what things actually people are remember and take away from this type of a movie. So leading into that, what would you rate this movie? This is hard to rate. Like, if it were individuals, I would almost have rather have seen this on an individual, like in like a, the short collection. Of- <laughs> oh well, no, I I would have wished that they were separate and not all in one. Yeah, because like, like the I, Disney shorts, how they yeah. They're separate, and they put them in a big... Right, exactly. Um, just because it was so... By the end, I was just so tired. <laughs> I yeah. It's like, okay, I made it through, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it was... The thing is, like, everything is so good. It's so beautiful, but it's... At the same time, I just was tired. Um, and because of that, the replay value is, like, not <laughs> there for me. Um, not to take away from the greatness that just came out of it. You know, every, all of the... The beautiful, just everything that's beautiful in it um, is amazing. But I, I'm i going to give it two and a half stars Whoa! For me, just because, like I said, I can't watch it over and over. Mm-hmm. And I, it's hard. It's, I've seen it like three times in my life, and I'm like, okay. Three's enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I am teetering between four and a half and five stars. I love this movie, and I can definitely respect it for being very ambitious in yeah. its nature. I mean, it it was not meant to be your traditional fairy tale. No, it wasn't. There was a lot of unique things that they explored here. It was very, uh, it w- just with what they were able to do with the sound is very innovative and creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the different pieces that they selected and the stories that it tell. I loved how this kind of was one of the things that helped foster my love of, of music and classical music and really shaped the way that I listen to classical music. Pastoral Suite to me is just so much perfection. And you know what? I'm going to give it five stars. Go for it. I way out <laughs> doubling Chelsea's score. <laughs> I really love this movie. It there's a few things that maybe would be faults, but no movie is perfect, but for the most part because of like everything that it is, it's five stars. Now that being said, it is not the most like constant replay value. This isn't like King of Thieves where I could totally just push push play again five minutes after watching it. However, when I do watch this, it's very good. Right of Spring is a little bit slow. So maybe that would like, if I had to bump it down, that would be the reason alone why is just that sequence is interesting to me. But hey, ratings don't matter. So we're like, uh, (laughs) whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter and blah, blah, blah. So five stars. That's who we are. Awesome. All right, now let's go into the voicemails. Mr. Sikowski, Mr. Sikowski. Hello, this is Alex calling in to give my review of Fantasia. In my opinion, this film is a true animated classic and one of Walt Disney's best efforts. From a technical standpoint, my favorite segment is Night on Bald Mountain. 
It has beautiful visuals and a great villain in Chernobyl. However, it is rather frightening and disturbing. So my favorite segment to watch is The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which has a great musical score alongside a great story and Mickey Mouse, of course. That's always a plus. This is also the last Golden Age film you have yet to review, so congratulations on getting through all of them. This also ranks in my top 10 list of Disney films. Um, Not many of Walt Disney's films rank this high, so this is a very impressive accomplishment for Fantasia. Finally, I love the scene where Mickey Mouse interacts with the conductor, Leopold Sikowski. It brings a smile to my face every time. I give this film 5 out of 5 stars. I think it's pretty much perfect. Bye. Hi, Rotoscopers. This is Rachel. So I saw that you guys are reviewing Fantasia, and I'm really excited about that. I think that it's an interesting film because... There's not that many movies where you can say this is a totally unique experience. And I think that's what you can say with Fantasia. It's not a movie that's meant to be entertaining. It's not a, meant, a movie that's meant to sort of uh, dazzle you with this narrative. It doesn't have a narrative. It's meant to be a concert experience. And so that makes it completely unique and different. And so I really love it. I think it is beautiful. I think it has every kind of sort of emotion and the way that you can really feel the music uh, is uh, the is really neat, and it's sort of like combine, combining your uh, best experience in an art museum with your best experience at a symphony all in one. And uh, so, yeah, I'd give it. It's one of my favorite Disney movies. Hey, Rotoscopers, this is Dan Siciliano, and I'm really very, 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 very excited about your reviews of Fantasia and Fantasia 2000, especially the original Fantasia. It's one of my favorite movies ever, along with Secret of Nim. All Does Go to Heaven, and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I can't wait to hear your reviews. Can't wait, wait, wait. All right. Good luck, you guys. Have fun. Good day to you, Rotoscopers. This is Danny once again. I'm so glad you guys are finally reviewing my favorite movie of all time. I find Fantasia to be one of the best movies ever because it has all of the great movie genres in one movie. It has fantasy, horror, comedy, surrealism, spiritualism, ballet, action, documentary, and so on. I also love this movie because it's a perfect showcase of imagination and creativity. And it shows just how beautiful animation can be as an art form. Plus, the music is fantastic as well. If you were to ask me which segment I loved the most, I'd have to say I love all of them equally. Anyway, I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say, and I hope you guys give it a perfect five-star rating. Hi, I'm Morgan and Chelsea. This is Gabby, and I'd like to give you my thoughts on Fantasia, which is one of my absolute favorite Disney films. It's also one of the Disney films that I used to watch all the time as a kid when I was about four or five It did two things. It, first of all, introduced me to classical music and also it's, um, it made me appreciate animation for its art and not just it being for kids. You could tell that Fantasia was obviously made more for adults, I suppose, more for a mature audience, um, especially with scenes like The Rites of Spring and uh, Night on Bald Mountain. 
Um, speaking of the sequences, my favourite ones are The Sorcerer's Apprentice and The Nutcracker Suite. I love those. I do appreciate The Rites of Spring, although I think it goes on a bit too long. But I used to love it as a kid, mostly because of the dinosaurs, because I loved dinosaurs when I was younger. And as for Night on Bald Mountain, oh, I, I used to have nightmares um, back then when I first watched it. It didn't stop me from watching it, but it used to really creep me out. Nowadays, it doesn't. I love it. I think it's really cool, epic. But yeah, back then, it freaks me out. Anyway, I can't wait to hear what you guys think of the film. So, uh, bye. Hey, Roboscopers. Jonathan North here. When I saw you guys were doing Fantasia, I just had to call in. Fantasia is my absolute favorite movie of all time. Not just my favorite animated movie, but my favorite movie, period. It was my favorite movie as a kid, too, which might seem strange. I know a lot of people say Fantasia terrified them as children, either the dinosaurs or the demons or just the general weirdness of the movie. But none of that bothered me. I loved everything about it, especially the dinosaurs, which were my favorite part. Uh, Now that I'm grown up, it's still my favorite movie. It's just such a unique and beautiful film. I would almost call it more a work of art than a movie. And if anyone hasn't seen it before, I highly recommend it. I don't generally give star ratings, but if I did, out of five stars, I give it six. Anyway, thanks for taking my call. I can't wait for the episode. Bye. All right, thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the Animation Addicts Podcast. We are interested to see what you guys think about this episode. So remember that poll we were talking about? If you go to rotoscribers.com slash 146, I'm going to include a poll at the bottom of the show notes so that way you can rate, you know, basically what are your top three segments that when you think of this movie, which ones do you think of? So go there, enter the poll. We'll see if Chelsea is right or I didn't have a hypothesis, so I cannot be right. (laughs) But definitely go there and give us your review in the comments there as well. Of course, you can join us on all things in the wide world web. Nope, that's not what it's called. It's the World Wide Web. (laughs) Rotoscopers.com, where Rotoscopers everywhere else on where great social media accounts are found. (laughs) Only the best social media accounts, though. (laughs) And of course, our next episode is going to be Fantasia 2000 because uh, we didn't really go into this, but this is something that Walt wanted to do on like an every few years sort of basis was just release a new one of these. Didn't really pan out that way because it didn't make that much money at the beginning. (laughs) Um, But then in the 90s, this idea was resurrected and we will talk about that and what worked and what did not work with that. So Fantasia 2000, check it out. Actually, both of these are on Netflix, so you can go watch them if you are on Netflix US, I must say. And yeah, so until next time, we we are the Rotoscopers. What? Would you like to go out? Go out, then. Get out. (laughs) You in or out? Are you in or out? Party's out there. (laughs) It's not as cool over here, never mind. (laughs) We're boring. (laughs) (laughs) One fun thing that I've feel like I wish it would have been included was in the 60s when they brought that back Ollie Johnson and like all of them that went um Frank Thomas they all went around and like would talk to these students Mm -hmm. and like after their interview or after they saw them all the students were like I mean this is the 60s so it's like ever the flower child type era and so they're all just like what were you on man (laughs) oh yeah what (laughs)